This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and this is This Naked Mind Podcast. I am really excited about today's guest. We have met each other a while ago and kind of become friends, talked about lots of different stuff. And Sherry Gaba is with me today, and Sherry has a really impressive background. And so we're going to talk about Sherry's story, but also about all the different incredible things she's doing and really target in on an area that often gets overlooked, which is love addiction, relationship addiction, codependency, all the things that, you know, sometimes we can turn to once we kick an alcohol habit or other habit that isn't serving us well. So Sherry is a certified recovery coach. She's a psychotherapist, most notably on VH1 Celebrity Rehab, which is quite cool. And she's also the author of two books, The Law of Sobriety and The Marriage and Relationship Junkie. So welcome, Sherry. Thank you for being here. Oh, Annie, thank you so much for what you're doing in the world and for giving me this platform to talk about this subject. I'm really grateful to you. Oh, that's awesome. So why don't you just start um, with your story and then we'll get into kind of, you know, the, the sure. teaching part of it. Well, I know that a lot of the listeners are, are in recovery or, or starting recovery. And um, sometimes what I, what I see is that a lot of people, when they do get sober, often they turn to other addictions, other process addictions. Um, my story in particular is um, my first disease <clears throat> would be love addiction and codependency, and that at times in my life, I abuse substances along with that disease, which I believe love addiction and codependency is a disease, just like any other disease <clears throat> or any other substance abuse disease. And we don't even have to call a disease a disorder or, you know, mal, mal uh, function. It's just maladaptive behavior. Um, what happened for me was because of this issue around early trauma. I became a love addict. I, I tell the story often. I was, in a, uh, I was in an incubator. I was premature. I was two and a half months early. In those days, mothers weren't allowed to bond with their babies, so I didn't actually meet my mother for two and a half months. <clears throat> and even when I went home, you know, I would turn blue and she'd go to feed me. So there was really no early bonding, attachment, connection. And we know, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so really metaphorically i was always looking for the boob so to speak like always looking for that connection and so the way i did that was through love and if i wasn't in a relationship i was in complete terror and panic and the substance abuse really came about with my dating you know just a lot of anxiety um i don't identify as an alcoholic um i don't know you know how your audience feels about that i I definitely have abused at times in my life around dating and social stuff, but my life never became out of control or unmanageable or um, never lost jobs, never lost my daughter, you know, all the usual blah, blah, blah. It was never um, an issue for me, but you know, I like to talk about it because you know, when you're dealing with a process addiction, you know, other addictions can come into play, other abuse can come into play. And um, I know that a lot of people, when they get sober, often there's that, oh my God, I got to do something else to fill that dopamine high. And so often people turn to, you know, love. You talk, they talk about that in the meetings, <clears throat> in the 12-step meetings, you know, people have, you know, they look at each other in the room and, and it's like, oh my God. And, you know, there you are, you're, you're back on that dopamine high. So that's my story. Um, I've worked in addiction, you know, for years. I worked at Promises. So Sherry, I'd love to know just a little bit more about 
those intervening years, you know, like the, the, I can totally feel you when you're talking about the, um, especially with my own kids, I imagine how it would be not to be able to hold them or how they would feel or how a child is crying, not out of hunger, but just for a need of being loved. And I mean, there's so many studies about that as well. You know, monkeys who just weren't given affection when they were young and how that impacts everything, how that gives them, you know, so many different um, inabilities to really, really truly connect with other people. It, it has such a deep thing. So how did that, in, in the intervening years, like how did that really manifest in your life? Well, I didn't have safety or security. I didn't have that early attachment. So I never felt safe. And so I personally was always looking outside myself, just like, you know, people that have substance abuse issues, you're looking outside yourself to feel that terror, to feel that emptiness, to feel that loneliness. And so when I got into high school, um, prior to high school, I was kind of the ugly duckling, you know, the girl with the Jewish, you know, frizzy hair and flat boobs and pimples. And then all of a sudden I got kind of, you know, semi-attractive in high school and I had my first love and my first boyfriend. And just like, you know, sometimes alcoholics will talk about or, and you know, and again, your audience may not refer to alcoholism or alcoholics. I'm just doing it as a way to just identify that, that, that issue. Um, just like you're chasing that first drink or that first high, you know, the love addict is always kind of chasing that first romance. And so I fell in love and he lived across the street and he was just adorable and he had beautiful blue eyes and we danced to the song Sugar Sugar, which was like this big song back in the late 70s or mid 70s. And there I was, you know, I'm in love. And so I really at that point in time, I felt like all my worth was based on whether or not I had someone to, to love me, to, 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 to give me attention, to acknowledge me, to validate me. And when that relationship ended and he broke up with me, um, it was devastating. I was, I, that was where, you know, you can just see all the obsessive behavior, the low self-esteem, the desperation. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I feel so empty that, you know, this, this pounding terror inside my heart. And so from that point on, I always had to have a relationship to fill me up. And so I met my first husband. You know, as I share in my book, The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, it's not just a book about, you know, healing. It's a book that also I share my story. And so four marriages later, you know, always the bride, never the bridesmaid, here I am. Got married for all the wrong reasons, had very low self-esteem, um, couldn't be alone, felt like they, you know, my self-worth was based on, you know, the, the next guy or the next husband or the next relationship. And I made really poor choices. And, you know, Annie, if I could do anything in this world is to help that, that young lady out there or young man that you don't ever have to quote settle. You get to really make, you know, life is full of choices and the choices we make have ramifications. I personally became a single mother very young because of these choices and because of my my love addiction issue. Um, I love my daughter. She's amazing. She's a, you know, big publicist. She's very successful, hugely successful. I did, a, I think I, and, and, and not just from the, you know, not just from the outside, she's got, I have a beautiful granddaughter. She's a great mother, a great partner to her boyfriend. And um, regardless, <clears throat> regardless of all my mistakes, she came out great. However, it was a really hard life. It was really a hard life being a single mom. And, and trying to kind of fit that empty space, like, oh, I need to be a real family. So then next husband, next husband, and always looking to be this perfect, you know, family of what in those days, there weren't as many single moms. Um, I was often shunned by other mothers, you know, the PTA quote moms, you know, really, I was like 10 years younger than most of them. I, I suppose they were 
concerned that I was going to go after their husbands. I mean, I don't know what it was, but I was not welcomed. So it was a very lonely existence and all because I couldn't be with myself. And so my goal is to just help, you know, anybody out there that is wondering, you know, I know there's something not right here. My intuition tells me this isn't right, but I am terrorized. I just cannot be without this person help. And uh, then they end up marrying that person or living with them or whatever. And then they, that just changes their whole life, their whole life, their whole life story changes. So when you were in these marriages, um, was it that you fell quickly out of love and that's why you would leave the marriage? Well, so you two, felt like you settled me. I mean, two left me. I left two. No, I, I, I just made bad decisions. I mean, the, the first one I probably didn't even love. It, I married completely on the rebound. That's my daughter's father. Although, you know, I'm so grateful I have my daughter, but that was just a huge mistake. Um, in fact, I have a funny story about that. When they asked for me to do the first dance with my first love at this wedding, most people would think, oh, my dad. And what I was thinking is, oh, my God, is my first love here? Is he coming to dance with me? I mean, I was just crazy. And I just I wasn't really in love, you know. And not, not the man you were marrying. <laughs> I wasn't. I was, I was, I, yeah, exactly. So I, it's just a crazy story. And I have crazy stories. You know, I can go on and on. I mean, my third marriage, as soon as I was ready to go down this aisle, and there was this big, you know, gate that opened up and there's the bride all the pedestals of flowers fell on my dress and it's like if that isn't like a sign like what are you doing sherry and and a few weeks before that wedding um i didn't want to go through with it but you know 300 people later i just i couldn't i couldn't say no and you know i, I tell this story because it's very embarrassing but i i want to bring the shame out i want to bring i want to eradicate the stigma and the shame about multiple marriages and multiple relationships, because I know there are people out there that have done the same thing and feel so ashamed and so embarrassed. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. We make these choices because of, you know, early history and, and early things that have happened to us, trauma related. And to have compassion for yourself and to understand why you're making these decisions and then <clears throat> grow from there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, what, you know, what would you tell someone? I mean, I know people like this for sure. You know, I, I can even relate in some of my own life to just this feeling of not wanting to be alone. Like the very, very deep feeling of I'd much rather have, you know, a human being in this house with me than be by myself. And, um, and that feels, I mean, in the conversations that I've had that, with people that are struggling with this, it feels insurmountable. It feels like- It's crippling. It's crippling. It is honestly like being alone feels like you're on fire. It feels like um, you cannot survive it. You can't breathe. Everything is pressing in on you. You have to get out of the house immediately. And how, how do you even start? How do you start to learn how to be by yourself? Well, what's so great is that the first step is that people are on this podcast today and they're listening to our interview and that's the first step of awareness. Um, the next step would be, you know, like when we talk about with, with alcohol too, it's getting out of the de denial because the truth is, you know, that there's something wrong, but your fear of being alone is greater than the truth that you know. And so it's about really stepping into the truth and, and start, and that, that's like with any kind of recovery, you know, getting honest with yourself. Um, I would say for me, I did a lot of trauma work. I found an amazing trauma therapist. I do the same work myself with my clients. It's called somatic experiencing. 
And so you help people kind of get out of their, you know, they get that old energy out of their body, that old toxic energy that comes from trauma. And, you know, just making it simple, it's just getting rid of the old energy and, and, and so that you make room for positive and room for, you know, healing and health. And so that's the work that I did. There are many things people can do. They can, you know, read about it. They can, they can work with a life coach like myself, or I also do therapy and coaching. They can um, find a great meeting, like a love addict meeting if they're open to that and if they're not open to that you know work with someone that really understands love addictions you know there's all kinds of courses out there there's all kinds of programs out there and there's some really qualified people that can help someone through this process but again the first step is being honest getting out of the denial um exploring your fears really understanding what am I afraid of? You know, let's just bring it up. Let's make friends with it. Like, oh, there it is. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll never meet anybody. I'm afraid that I will be alone forever. I'm afraid I'm, afraid I'm, I'm too old. You know, really kind of like, let's, let's dive into these fears. You know, um, and then again, like I said earlier, examining that suppressed trauma in childhood is really important. Um, and, you know, another word for trauma is just neglect. You know, were you neglected? Were you abandoned? Were your parents addicts and alcoholics? And were they emotionally and physically unavailable to you? Were you abused? Did you come from a divorce? Did you have to be the parent in your family? You know, really start uncovering these things and discovering, you know, how those things are affecting your relationships today. And then, you know, I'm all about being really loving and forgiving and compassionate with yourself like really, really compassionate because you didn't wake up just like the alcoholic doesn't wake up and say, oh, uh, I wanted to like fall asleep on the, you know, on the floor or out, you know, in a bush. The love addict doesn't say, oh, I want to have four divorces later and lots of relationships, failed relationships. And, you know, no, there are reasons for these things. So really love yourself and love that inner child because that inner child needs that love um, and forgive yourself. And, work on work with that shame bring it up make it you know i'm much less shameful today than i've ever been i i mean i tell this story I, I have somebody wonderful in my life right now and i went on this date with him months after i had to heal because i knew that i couldn't go from one to one you know relationship to the other so i took some time for myself and really really grew and i remember him asking me you know something about how long how long were you married da, da, da. and in the past i would lie and just say i was just married once divorced once and this time i actually said I've been married four times. And what was so funny is he'd been married three times. So there you go, you know. So it's not anything to be ashamed of. It's much worse to lie and, and to hide and to live in secrets because, you know, we're as sick as our secrets and you don't want to start out a relationship or dating by, by lying. So really getting honest with yourself and with others and help then just doing the work prepares you for that healthy relationship. And, you know, really start trusting yourself, letting go and just finding really good support. And would you say like when you're, you know, ready, you've, you've gone through the awareness, you're aware, you've kind of come out of a bit of denial about it and you're saying, okay, what's the first step? Is that first step to be alone for a period of time? In my opinion, you need that alone time to really work on yourself. For me, it was joining, you know, an Al-Anon program because my last husband had been an alcoholic and had kept relapsing and I was just obsessed with getting him sober i was just obsessed and that was my my addiction really to be honest was him and so i had to find for me a program that would help me um work on my boundaries and and work on um how to say no and work on letting go and finding some kind of spiritual solution to be able to let go so for me alan i was very helpful that isn't 12 steps is not for everybody so i'm not necessarily saying 
that's your solution. But that really helped me. And then I did this trauma work that I talked about earlier. That was really helpful. Finding someone that can help you with that trauma, not just a talk therapist, but someone that really understands that stuff inside of you that needs to come out. Um, and um, finding a great, you know, a great or a great relationship coach or, you know, read material, read my book, The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, so you can understand. Take my quiz. I have a quiz at sherrygaba.com to see if you are a love addict, you know, and um, these are some of the tools that, that I recommend to really start um, uncovering this. And what, um, what sort of withdrawal can you expect? I mean, is that the same as something like drinking that you can have an actual withdrawal? Well, you know, it's, it's basically touching on the same reward centers as addiction. You know, it's the same feeling. It's like the, the heroin addict that needs their fix while you're looking for that fix of another human being to complete you, to complete that terror, to complete that discomfort that you're feeling inside of yourself. So yes, I, it's, it's, it's like we talked about earlier, it's crippling, it's terrorizing and um, you're not alone. And that's really important to understand you're not really alone. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, whatever your spiritual connection is, your support system. Like I said, I had a support system. I took up canoeing. You know, I got in the water and the water was really healing for me and very meditative. You know, maybe you, you want to take up something like yoga or meditation or something that connects you to something so you don't feel like you're alone because the truth of the matter is we aren't alone there is something divine out there that is that is holding us up when we feel like we can't be held up it's you know and the truth is when you're in a neg you know in a bad relationship you're really more alone than you think you are it's much much worse to be lonely in a relationship than to be quote alone yeah uh, and then change your you know i'm a big believer in the law of attraction um I, that, that's what my first book is based on. Change the verbiage, you know, say to yourself, I'm single, not like, oh, I'm alone. Like, can you just kind of tell the vibration is so different? Like I'm single, I'm single. I'm going to make new friends. I'm going to create a new life. Um, of course, this is all difficult when you're in so much emotional pain and I so get it, but I promise you it will not last forever. You know, if you start the work and you start the healing, um, you can, you will get through it just like you got through, you know, or getting through your other recoveries from other addictions. Um, and then for, so this is, you know, if people are like, oh yeah, okay, this is definitely me. I, I do this. I bounce from relationship to relationship. I use it, relationships as a crutch. You know, I use them as kind of my fix, so to speak. I go for that um, high of being in love uh, but what what about for people who aren't doing that, aren't bouncing around and they're just, but they feel something is wrong. Like what, what are some signs? What is the difference between sort of being in love and um, truly or having some sort of, you know, just unhealthy obsession and not being truly in love, but just being kind of, like you said earlier, using that person as as your drug, so to speak. Well, I think a, a healthy relationship is nurturing. There, it isn't, there isn't jealousy. There's a feeling of support. There's companionship. There's communication. There's real intimacy. I mean, you probably could speak better to this because I know that you're happily married. <laughs> and so you probably could talk about all the things that make a really healthy relationship. But if it's unhealthy and you're in this relationship and you, you, know, you know that there's something wrong, 
Look at things like, are you crossing boundaries? Are you saying yes when you really mean no? Are you constantly afraid, afraid of, oh my God, you know, what is he going to think if I do this? What, you know, is he going to leave me? This, if you're single or, you know, are you, are you afraid of the unknown? Are you in a lot of fear that you're never going to meet anybody? You know, you're just panic stricken about that. Um, are you in a relationship where you're always trying to change someone? Are you always trying to fix them? Are you not accepting them for who they are? Um, are you needing that other person to make you feel whole? You know, if you're in a relationship, do you feel less than when you're not with that person all the time? Or if you're not getting constant attention, validation, acknowledgement, you know, um, are you always looking for others for affirmation and for self-worth? And are you just deathly afraid of abandonment and being left? And, um, you know, maybe you're having some of those withdrawal symptoms when they go on vacation or they're out with playing golf with their, you know, their buddies, you know, are you always feeling like you're kind of in a panic? You know, are you giving up who you are to be with this someone just so that you can get love and attention? I mean, I think those are the things you might want to look for. I mean, obviously the obsession is part of the, the part of it, but these are the other elements that be, can be going on whether you're in a relationship or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've been in both. I've been in very unhealthy relationship and um, obviously very happily married. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, a, a lot of the, where I saw um, in the unhealthy relationship, it was this sense of being on unstable ground. So whether that was, you know, was he going to be jealous? Was I going to be jealous? Did I feel weird feelings of, of discomfort? It was so unpredictable. The ground was not stable beneath me. And so every step I took, it was like, am I tripping? Am I falling? Am I walking? What's today going to be like? There was, you know, and you like to think, well, that's what makes it passionate. That's what makes it fun. It isn't predictable. It isn't just two old married people sitting around. But the truth is that, you know, in a, in a marriage that's really healthy, it feels like home. It feels safe. It feels like an extension of you. And you don't feel um, jealous of yourself. You know, you don't feel upset with yourself for little things like it, it feels very very uh stable and secure like you're walking on firm ground and i think that was really the the biggest difference for me i love that what a great way to describe that i mean what you're saying is that it just feels right and as, as corny as that sounds it really is true i mean it just feels right i mean at least that's how i'm feeling right now in a healthy relationship and i'm, I'm hoping that it will endure but I know that when I'm not in a healthy relationship, it is filled with drama. It's always, I'm always other focused. I'm always trying to fix them. I'm never happy with what I have. I'm always resentful. I'm always, um, you know, uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, and they become my project. And then I, I take the focus off myself and they become my focus. And it's debilitating. I mean, by the time I divorced my, my fourth husband, I got, I had shingles. I was losing my hair. My daughter knew every time she spoke to me that I had spoken to him or that I was, you know, in one of those like cycles. Um, you know, the whole thing is, is we, there is this human nature. We want what we can have. You know, we kind of want that bad boy, that drama. Oh my God, this, you want the intensity. Often that comes from, because you came from a family, there was a lot of intensity and there was a lot of chaos. And so to you, that's normal. Now, although my parents loved each other very much, there was a lot of fighting that went on. They were always fighting about money or this or that, kind of like the Bickersons. And it really kind of set me up also that, you know, somehow drama, high intensity. I mean, you can put me like, I was like the best 
family court mediator. That was something that I did in my career because I, you know, the more traumatic it is around me, the, the more I like rise up, you know, like give it to me, give it to me, give me that trauma, give me that, that, that rush, give me that high. And I remember I had a cousin who has a very successful marriage many, many years. And she said, Sherry, I mean, I don't know if this is true. She goes, Sherry, but the right person you might, it is boring. Like it may be boring, but it's the right person. And I don't think that's completely true, but I think the idea of what she was trying to say is that it's like steady Eddie, you know, even, I mean, when I entered into this last relationship, you know, I took my time. I wasn't like, who, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, let's just go with it. I'm not going to like go into, that's another thing, fantasy. I don't, I, I'm not going to go into fantasy that he's going to fix this and fix this, whatever I'm going through and make everything better. And, you know, whatever is going on, you know, I just stopped. I just didn't do that. I just like said, okay, here's a person. Let's go out. He's a nice company, nice companionship. I kind of kept it where it is in the moment instead of like future tripping on what it's going to be or what it can be. Um, I, I mean, I had a client came in that came in yesterday and I mean, she's, she's dating somebody that she knows isn't right. She goes, but I just see his potential. I see his potential. I'm like, stop. We don't, Marry potential. We don't get involved with potential. We just don't. Yeah. You know, we just don't. So, you know, yeah, because what you see in that is just a story you're telling yourself. Right. I mean, it's a delusion, and 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 the whole thing, how I feel is just give up the delusion. Don't give up the love. I mean, there mm -hmm. is love out there for you. Just don't. But but give up the delusion because the getting rid of the delusion will set you free, and will set yeah, you. Yeah, that's powerful. Free. You know? So I have two more questions for you, Sherry. First of all, um, where, you know, I know this comes from childhood trauma and stuff like that, but then also, you know, this obsession with relationships in general, um, some people haven't had a ton of trauma. I mean, is there something cultural or in the media that's influencing this as well? Yeah, well, look at the movies that are out there. Like, I don't know if your audience can remember, um, you know, Fatal Attraction. I mean, often media models overly, they, they, they model these overly obsessive relationships. Like think about all the music, you know, I'm addicted to love, I'm a, you know, I mean, I can't sing with anything, but the music that we hear, you know, and then ruminating over the music over, I mean, how many of you listen to the same song over and over again, or think of country music, that's all love addiction. I mean, um, but the biggest one that I'm thinking of is Fatal Attraction where Michael Douglas and Glenn Close portray these characters who have this weekend affair and then it turns into a nightmare, just a total nightmare. Um, you know, Douglas, he plays this, this man, Dan Gallagher, who's this one time fling with Alex. And then it turns into this dirty game as Forrest performs violent acts. I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but it's just complete obsessive love. And then another one I'm thinking of is obsessed where Ali uh, ladder pushes the envelope to show her coworker that she's never letting go no matter what. I mean, it's this idea of that. I think that was Beyonce that was in that film. And so there's just this obsessive love that that's supposed to be like normal. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I yeah. Think. It's just this whole romantic idea. I mean, Cinderella, you know, their kids are still watching Cinderella. I mean, I, I'm thinking of, um, I think there's another one, um, but I don't watch those trilogies, but I think there's a trilogy where she's, uh, I can't think of which one it is. I, I will never remember them in my brain, but there are these, there's this trilogy where she's after this main character and it seems to be very obsessive. I mean, it's all around us, really. Yeah. So how can we protect ourselves? How can we make sure like our passion stays within healthy territories and, and we're, not, we're not crossing those lines? Be, again, I'm going to go back to just being really honest with yourself. Like, what is it that's going to make me comfortable in my life? Is this really what I want? Do I really want to be in this constant state of, 
uh, fear and, and am I, I mean, when am I going to start looking within for the answers instead of always looking without, like that somebody else is going to make it okay, that somebody else is going to take care of me and we're going to ride off to the sunset. It just, or the white, or the white picket fence. Like when are we going to start, you know, stepping into our own power? And once we do that, we're going to attract someone really great because we're feeling really great. I mean, that's what's happened for me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's hap if that happened to you, but once you work on yourself and really take the time and get over the terror of being, quote, single, because I knew that if I just kept doing the same thing over and over again, I finally realized this is insanity and I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and just learn how to be with myself. And I, had a gr I, was, I was single for four years and I had the time of my life and I was happy and I'm really glad I met somebody great, but I was happy. I had new friends. I was canoeing. I was in the water. I had a sisterhood. Um, I just left the code. I, I will never be codependent. I will never, I can't say that. I will always be a codependent, but I will never, I will never behave in a codependent manner if I can help it. I'll always be working on that muscle because I never want to go through the loss and then the loss and then having nothing there. Like here I am, like I've made you my whole life. And now here I am. I made you and you and your life and your life and your life, my life. And now here I am. And what's my life? I mean, even though I had work and I, and I loved my career and I had my daughter, I still didn't have this full balanced life because they were my life. Yeah. So yeah. it's all about that. It's all about balance, you know, working on the, a balanced existence. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Well, thank you so much. This has been really, really good. So where can people, where can people find you? So I'm going to give a couple of resources and maybe you can put it on the link. I don't know where you post this, sure. but um, so the first is the marriage and relationship junkie where they can get on Amazon. The second is SherryGaba.com where they can take a love addiction quiz. And I have all kinds of free blogs and I have an ebook on love addiction that they can, um, they can, uh, you know, uh, sign up for. And then I have a program called wake up recovery. So if people want to like, learn more about the law of attraction and, you know, weaving that into their recovery, they can go to wakeuprecovery.com. Awesome. Well, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And again, you're like amazing, Annie. I just, I, I just love you. I think I love you. you're just amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, this was a pleasure. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.